do want to welcome you here today. We do want to welcome you here today, whether you're in the gym this morning or here in the worship center or online. It's good to have you with us and as we open God's word together. I'm going to pray with you for a moment and then we're going to open God's word. Let's pray. Kind Father, we bow in your presence and we're so grateful that you have revealed yourself in the creation to us. We know so much about you by looking at the creation, but also very specifically as well in your word. And as we look into it now, we pray you'd speak into our hearts in very personal and intimate ways. We invite you to do that. We look to you and we would say, would you shape us in a way that reflects Jesus well? And so as we celebrate this truth from your word today, may you be honored and exalted. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Sorry, we're having some kind of trouble with the mic here. Anyway, what's in a name? What's in a name? It's a series of messages that we're starting this summer on the names of God. You know, when our kids are about to be born as parents, we typically take some time and invest time thinking about what kind of name do we want to give this kid. Anyway, I think I'm going to grab a different mic. Okay, how does that sound? And as a parent, when you're choosing that given name that you're going to impart to them, you try to do it quite deliberately. But in a certain sense in our society, there's a bit of randomness involved in it, I would suggest. As I recall, when we were doing this with our kids, we spent time thinking about what does this name mean, but we also worked really hard to think, what's a name we could give them that it'll be really tough for the kids in school to make fun of or to give them a nickname? And so our first kid was born, our daughter, Erin, and we thought, this is a really safe name. It's a beautiful name. It means the word peace, and what a wonderful idea to promote. But we also thought, they can't really make a nickname or make fun of the name Erin, but of course, right away, they started calling her Ed because her name is or was Erin Dixon before she was married. So that didn't work out so well. But of course, we worked hard with that with her and with our son, Sean. What's in a name? If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you, or your device, I invite you to turn with me to the book of the Psalms, which is found right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 9. And as I said, we're starting a series of messages on the names of God. And this is going to be kind of our key text, in particular verse 10. And I draw your attention to this as we go through this series together. Psalms chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. Listen to these cool words from God. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Now listen to this verse. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who, ha those who seek you. Those who know your name will trust in you. For most of human history, prior to the modern age in particular, a name typically meant something about 
that person. And when people heard their name, they knew something about that person. And certainly this is the case here. David is saying, I want to make a direct connection between trusting God and knowing his name. And if you have trouble at times trusting God, I would invite you to dive deep into the names of God. Because the ability to trust God, David is saying, is directly tied to our knowledge, to our understanding, to our application of the truth of God's names. And so throughout history, a person's given name was often given to indicate something about their character or about their abilities or about their mission. It meant something. So, for example, Adam in Genesis chapter 3 gives, uh, or chapter 2 rather, gives Eve her name because she was to be the mother of all the living. Later in the book of Genesis, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, indicating that he would be the father of many nations. And this connection between a person's name and their abilities and their character and their mission is seen, it's perfectly expressed in the names of God. There's absolutely nothing random in his names. A whole series of messages that we can do on the names of God. And apparently someone has counted, and I don't know if this is completely accurate, but apparently someone's counted and come up biblically with some 900 names of God in Scripture. So I'm just warning you, this is going to be a really, really long series. Actually, I think we're going to do about five or six of these here through the summer. But listen to these words from A.W. Tozer, a writer that died in the 1960s, but profound words, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's up on the screen behind me there. What we think, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so the first one we're going to look at in this series is the name of God, Emmanuel. God with us. And it's first mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7, which is written about 700 years before the birth of Christ, this name that is applied to Christ. And it's a messy time in the history of Israel. There's a civil war going on in the nation, and the northern kingdom of ten tribes are poised and fighting against the southern kingdom, the two tribes, and it's called the, the, the kingdom of Judah. And the king of Judah at that time in the southern kingdom is a guy named Ahaz. And Ahaz is convinced that the northern kingdom is going to join forces with the nation of Syria. And they are going to come down and destroy the southern kingdom. God assures Ahaz this will not be the case. But Ahaz is concerned. Ahaz is dubious. And God goes way out of his way to convince him and gives him a prophetic word that had uh, fulfillment at the time, but also in the future. And he's saying through this, I am going to provide deliverance for you. And in order to see this prophecy fulfilled at some point in the future, the way you're going to know this is that you will need to survive as a people group because part of the fulfillment of this prophecy will come out of the line of the southern kingdom. This can't happen in the future unless you survive. 
And then he says a very well-known verse, a very well-known prophetic word about the coming Messiah. It says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So in other words, Ahaz, down the road, a young woman who is a virgin, will supernaturally conceive and give birth to a son. A son, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because I, God, am with you now, in these messy circumstances, you will come through. And you know, it's a little messy right now for us, isn't it? When you think about it, we're emerging from COVID, there's drought, there's smoke that's resulting from that with the fires in BC. There's some farmers, I just heard from some agricultural people this past week that have been saying they won't even be pulling their combine out this fall because there's just no crop in different areas to, 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 um, to reap. Uh, the oil production that was so trampled down is just now starting to emerge. But God promises Ahaz and he promises us, I will be with you now and later. Emmanuel, God with us, even when it is messy. And so seven centuries goes by, during which, if you know the history of Israel at all, at points, um, they just have this really profound and deep relationship with God. But there's also vast stretches of time where it's really messy, where they sin as individuals or as a nation, where there's rebellion, where there's exile, where there's brokenness, where there's a period of about 400 years where God is seemingly quiet. But God keeps his word, as he always does. And the fulfillment of this prophecy comes through Jesus. And so let me read to you the fulfillment of that prophecy, a well-known passage that we often read at Christmas time. And I'm going to read it to you in the King James, something I haven't done for a while, something I grew up with as a little kid. I used to memorize the scriptures a bit in the KJV. Let's read that story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, having being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while she, he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? What does it mean that God is with you every day? The God that has created all that we can see in this world and all that we can't see because there's a whole unseen world going on as well, a spiritual world. 
the one that we can't actually see with our eyes, but that we see evidence of around, uh, uh, of, of who he is all around us, just like the Lethbridge wind. One writer wrote this, the creator entered his creation. The eternal entered time. God became human and in the most wonderful of ways, God somehow downsized himself enough to be born as a baby boy in a tile, tiny, frail, finite body of skin and bones with limited eyesight and hearing and the need for the basic functions of any human body. He became a human being, an existence that was so very different than he experienced as part of the great dance of the Trinity. The cool thing is that God came and God stayed. And we know that he was born in a tiny village, the village of Bethlehem, which is just adjacent to the city of Jerusalem. I've been to the spot where he was born. We know when he was born as our calendar is divided into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so Jesus, the Messiah, is given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And he gets it all the way. Two times in scripture we're told that he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. But growing up in the home of a carpenter, he became a carpenter himself. And so he knows what it's like to hit his thumb with the hammer. He knows what it's like to skin his knees as he was playing with his siblings in, in the yard in Nazareth, in the dusty part of Lazarus, Nazareth, just southeast, southwest of the Galilee as he was growing up. He knows what it's like to have a headache, to have toothaches, to be frustrated, to be tired, to be hungry, to be lonely. He stood where you stand and he experienced everything that you're experiencing. And he is still with us today. He promises in the book of John chapter 14, he's ascending, he's about to ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father and he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And so the Spirit of God, for everyone who has bowed the knee to Jesus, is our companion. He's our source of power. The scripture teaches us when we're filled with the Spirit, this gives us power to serve, power to live a holy life as God intends. He says to us, Jesus says, he will be my presence in your life. And I am not going to bail on you now or ever. And if you remember anything from what I say today, I invite you to remember what I'm about to say. From my friend, Matt Boda, God came to earth to be with us every day, everywhere, all the time. That's an incredibly profound truth. God came to be with us every day, everywhere, all the time. Whether the times in your life are, are, you know, you're just going, this is just awesome right now, or if it's really messy. God with you every day, everywhere, all the time. So what does it mean that God is with us? Well, Jesus revealed himself in a way 
that's totally different than the way people typically conceived of gods in that era. Or I would, I would argue, or the gods that so many in our culture worship here in North America and around the world. The things that they make most important in their life, more important than the God of the Bible. At, time, at the time of Christ, the, the Romans had their deities as well as they would have Greek deities that they uh, bowed down to. And for the Greeks, as did the Romans, they worshipped many gods. But a few of them that they worshipped in particular that you can read about in mythology is that the Greek god of Zeus led 12 gods in a war, a victorious war against the Titans. And then these small g-gods took up residence on Mount Olympus and they oversaw things. And the Greeks would use these mythological creatures to sort of explain the chaos that they saw playing out in the human experience. And so their gods were uh, cruel at times. Uh, they were pleasant and loving at times. They were vindictive like human beings can be at times. They were jealous, they were insecure, they were petty, they were unfaithful to one another at times. They exhibited all the human chaos, as well as the good side of human beings that the Greeks used to explain what was going on. But the idea that they would ever stoop to serve human beings or ever come to earth to be one of us was totally unthinkable to them. And then along comes Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus breaks the mold in every sense because he becomes one of us. He experiences all that we experience. It says in the book of Mark that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. And this is a complete contrast between what people typically thought of gods back then and what people typically think of all the gods that they worship right now, whether they understand them in those terms or not. In fact, well-known passages, well, Paul writing about Jesus, he says this about him in Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about that with me. Think about that. That means every day, Every minute, as you are working, or maybe you're looking for a job right now, or maybe you're gearing up to head back to school, or you're studying for something, or you're getting ready to write an exam of some sort, or maybe you're struggling with a relationship, or maybe you're looking for a relationship, or maybe you're celebrating that victory or that great thing you're able to accomplish, Every minute of those experiences, the God of the universe, Emmanuel, humbled himself, and he is with you every day, everywhere, all the time. And David, King David, is thinking about this, and it blows his mind. He's going, how can this even be true? This is like so 
wonderful. And so he writes in Psalm chapter 8, he says, when I, he's speaking about God, he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of then, human beings that you care for them? And, you know, we just got back from some holidays, Deb and I, and we were hiking out in the mountains, and they're just they're just breathtakingly beautiful. And the, the, the vista of the, of the prairie is incredibly beautiful. God has created all this. He sustained all this. And yet at the same time, he somehow contained himself to be part of your life every day, everywhere, all the time. And I don't know what you're going through right now. But just even in the last few days, as I've been talking to a number of people, I've had people say to me in the last few days, it was just two, it was this week, it was two years ago that my husband died. And then someone else said to me, my brother died in a vehicle accident and we just buried him on Friday. And someone else said to me, the roofers hadn't installed the shingles on the house property that I'm in charge of, that I was renovating for the firm I work for, and there was a big storm, and we had to clean it up. And someone else said to me, I'm getting calls every day at work for product that we don't have available because of shortages that COVID have imposed. Where do we go in times like this? Well, I absolutely believe that we cling desperately to the abilities, to the character, to the mission of God that are expressed through his name and his names. And so just a very simple application here today. I invite you to grab Emmanuel's hand. I invite you to commit to walk with him hand in hand this week and in the future. The God who beyond all human understanding experience contained himself to be with you, to walk hand in hand with him, resting in the things you know he said he will be. John, in writing about this, he said, listen, he will teach you and he will bring to your memory the things you need. In Galatians, Paul says he will guide you and he will walk with you. In the book of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, he writes, do you need wisdom? Ask him for it and he'll give it to you abundantly. And Paul in the book of Hebrews and then uh, the psalmist in Psalm 9, our original text says, listen, he will never ever leave you or forsake you. Every day, everywhere, all the time. A few years ago, I was privileged to go on a trip with, uh, I went with Ray Howe from the church here to St. Petersburg, Russia, and we were visiting uh, international workers, we, we call them missionaries as well, over in St. Petersburg, Perry and Linda Friesen, many of you will remember them or know them, and we went there to spend some time with them and see what they were doing and do some ministry with them, and when we had some spare time, Perry uh, took us to the Hermitage, which is a famous museum, uh, has a lot of art pieces there. And uh, hanging in, uh, in the Hermitage was this famous patent, painting, one of the last paintings done by Rembrandt. And uh, I stood in front of that painting for a long time and looked at it. And you're going to see the painting on the screen behind me. It's the painting of the prodigal son. And you might know the story 
It's the story of two younger sons, uh, sorry, of a younger son of two sons who uh, demands his inheritance prematurely from his father, and the father gives it to him, and the boy leaves and he squanders it on sinful, wild living, living that uh, the type of life that the dad would not have allowed him to live, living at home. And the story is representative of God the Father and us, the two different sons. Well, after a period of time, the son comes home destitute, starving, broken, desperate for help. And he thinks, maybe my dad will help me. And I won't be able to return, he assumes, as one of his sons because of how he's offended and hurt the family. But maybe he'll just take me back as his slave. But he comes back also with a repentant heart and repents to his dad. And I'm guessing that he learned how to repent from his dad. But the dad sees him coming and runs to greet him and embraces him. And if you look at the picture of the, the painting there, um, it's a little hard to see. But if you look, when I saw it, it's incredibly vivid. And if you look at the father who represents God, you see the father's love in his embrace. You see, when you stare at it for a while, there's so many things going on in that painting. You could look at it for days. But in the father's face, I would suggest you see multiple emotions. You see grief over the son's sinful past. But you see it's relief that his son is back. And you see love in being able to embrace his son. And the beautiful thing, and we sang about it earlier, is that no matter where you are today, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what life looks like, there's a father who knows you. There's a son who's redeemed you. Or if you've never had a, begun a relationship with Christ that wants to redeem you. And there is a spirit who fills you and, and will empower you to live a life that honors Jesus, who scripture says reveals truth to us, who convicts us of sin, who points us to Christ. And when we think of the other faith systems in the world, their small g God, they don't think about stooping down. Be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, grab his hand, invite his leading, read his word, pray and ask him for help, celebrate and praise him for his answers. Emmanuel, God with us, every day, everywhere, all the time.